Hello, I'm Pete Raby, CEO of the X4 Group, and you're listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. I'm a big believer, like many of you, that good leadership takes a hunger to learn and reflect. And when we open up about our own experiences, we give others permission to do the same. The Leadership Learns podcast brings you inspiring stories from diverse global leaders from a range of different organizations and industries on how they innovate and improve to become the best possible leader. With me today is David Sheldon Hicks, founder and creative director of Territory Studios. Having cut his teeth in graphics for digital media and music videos, David's passion for his craft led him to commercial campaigns, film and gaming, and the 11-year-old Territory Studios has established a reputation for crafting powerful graphic narratives across genres and media with UI and VFX film credits, including The Avengers, Gardens of the Galaxy, and Blade Runner 2049. David oversees the teams in London, San Francisco, and New York. David, welcome. Thanks so much for being with me. How are you and how on earth have the last 18 months been for you? Firstly, thank you for such a kind introduction. It always sounds so impressive when I hear other people say it back. It's a bit of an out-of-body experience. Uh, very well, very well. The So shall I chat about the last, last 18 months has been very interesting. Obviously, I think when it all began, we you know we didn't know what to expect. And and I found that quite funny looking back. I don't think any of us found it funny at the time, but so much of what we as you know digital creatives spend our time doing is helping our clients do new things and enter into new spaces and navigate you know innovation in some way. But suddenly, when the the tables flipped on yourself and you have to go through it and and reassess the way that you're approaching business. It was an interesting mental exercise and probably one that we all, you know, needed to go through. I just wish we didn't all have to do it at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's been really, really interesting. I think it's it's shown me that we have a robust business, which, um, you know, I could have done without being shown. But but now we're through it. That's um, that, that's that's great. It's shown me that um, we our team stick with us through thick and thin. You know, I cannot thank them enough for just kind of working with us and blood, sweat and tears, quite honestly, just to um, get through it. But, you know, the business, the business was stable in the end. And I think um, a lot of it goes down to, you know, it isn't just about the creative teams. The creative teams do the great work, but it's it's all the other sides of the business. You know, it's production, managing the projects well, managing client relationships correctly, it's our IT team, you know, making making everyone work remotely in 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 the blink of an eye. Well, that's and- what I was going to ask, actually, David. I was I was going to be like interested to ask because like one of the the fascinating things is I'm definitely a glass half full kind of guy, and I know that there's been seismic changes that we made in our business that are now make have made the business much much better since we were forced into this. This is this, this fresh way of looking at things. I want to get on to asking of what lasting changes that you guys have, have experienced and are still with off the back of it. But did you have a largely remote workforce before the pandemic? Or like what, what was the split before and what is it now? No, not really. I mean, um, well, assume everyone's remote right now. I'm in the office today and we've got people filtering in and out of the office. Some of us are doing two to three days a week. Some of us are still not in at all. We've taken on new employees, some of which are in Scotland at the moment, but want to move down when, you know, when the their life allows it. So it's really varied. And I would say because of our film contracts, we had historically needed to work on site. And some of that was because 
the files needed to exist under a kind of a security bubble. And so the files needed to stay on site. Now, I would say that the film studios have allowed for this kind of current moment in time us to work remotely, but work on the remotely still locked within our building. So everyone's dialing into the workstation. It's really funny. If you walk around some of the floors in territory at the moment, all the monitors are on. No one sat at the desks and, and lots of things are going on on screen. Um, so it feels like I've, I've got a workforce of ghosts at the moment, which is, which is really interesting. But so I think it, it's allowed the film studios and some of our other clients to accept that remote working can work. I think, I think it's shown us that, that productivity does dip on certain, in certain skill sets and certain types of projects. And so it wouldn't, you know, be a, a forever solution. But then it, it goes up in other spaces. So what it's shown us is certain roles and responsibilities absolutely can can and, and should have moments of time at home just for that focused, uninterrupted. But then you also realise the softer skills become impeded a little bit. So, you know, so so much of what we do is is helping a client see that what we're about to do, maybe in terms of an innovative solution, isn't risky. And you're kind of pulling them along with you and kind of gaining trust um, with them to be brave and to do something new. And those conversations are amazing training for other members of the team to hear, you know, and when they hear the more experienced members of staff kind of either internally having those conversations or externally leading the client through the process, that's hard to to capture in, you know, kind of the the more remote working. So I think there's the, the answer is there's benefits to both. Um, and the tricky thing for us is a fairly large studio, you know, with, with contractors and everyone else on top, I think we're about 100 plus in, in London at the moment, is those multi-people teams just setting some boundaries around that that flexi condition so that we know when people are in, when they're not in, and, and making it work for the projects and for the company um, and, and for people's mentorship. So from a personal point of view, it's been great. But I think also I found my boundaries – I need people around me. Like I re- I really miss working with people and I don't want to be in my spare room, you know, five days a week. That, And I don't want home to become work. I think there are great digital tools there and, uh, you know, I won't deny, but I don't think they pick up everything. And I, and I still think there's some some in-person stuff that we, that you know, kind of brings richness to being at a company, you know, being being a part of something. My brain is um, is an equal split between logic and creativity. You know, they talk about left brain and right brain. I I, I was one of those more unusual characters, perhaps that um, you know I was st- studying art and physics um, at college and things, and and maths and photography. You know, so there was there was this constant logic creative blend. And I think my parents thought, oh well, he's going to become an architect. You know, we can we can we can see the route. Anyway, I I I went off and uh, studied graphic kind of graphic design at university i did um, communication design which at the time you know the internet was just coming through what they meant by that was graphic design but on screens and i learned things like macromedia director and flash and um and i and i i really as a kid i'd always had the bug of animation you know i was always fascinated by how things move and how you can emote through through movement you know choreography and movement and telling a story that that just engrossed me and now when i watch my daughter and she's in minecraft world building and like uh yeah, that that's, that that was me that was me um went on to do graphic design but had to make it move had to tell stories with it 
And then when I graduated, ended up working um, kind of within the music industry, doing like music TV commercials and music videos and working, at, you know, working with some really great bands um, like you know, Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin. And I, I lucked out. I lucked out. And I worked incredibly hard and I had a great mentor at the company that I was working at. And he really trained me on the, the fundamentals of design and movement together. And just the, the basic principles. And that, even then, was rare, I think. You know, a company taking responsibility for, for proper training, I think I, I see that as quite a, quite fortunate in that respect. And then uh, the, the music industry took a bit of a turn because um, iTunes came out, which was fantastic and, and, and whatever, but digital streaming meant that there was less value placed on music videos. And so music video budgets started to shrink. I was really fortunate to land and I, it, they were being super secretive. So I was actually taking on a job without knowing what I was getting into. You know, it was, so essentially it was this very cagey advert in the back of creative review, I think it was for a motion designer. And it ended up being doing um, all the computer displays, all the graphics, um, mobile phones, computer displays for Casino Royale. So I worked at a company called AVC who um, were doing all the screen hardware side and putting the screens into the film. And then they needed a team to create the content on those screens. And I ended up working on that film and, and a number of others. My business partner and I met each other, started chatting about the idea. Of, you know, we were working together at an agency at the time and just started talking about the idea of wouldn't it be great to set up your own thing? And that's, and that's you know, there was the fledgling idea of territory. Um, and I think our first project was for a computer game called Medal of Honor for electronic arts in L.A., and it was a 90-second cinematic, and that was the first project that kind of launched us. And then fast forward about a year or so on, we got a call out of the blue. I think we were finishing on a on a Killzone game. We got a call out of the blue from the art department on a film I didn't know anything about. They said, oh, we're working on a film called Prometheus. I was like, oh, it sounds... I, I didn't care. It was our first film inquiry, so I was like... I don't care what it is. That sounds great. What is it? Accepted, yeah. Is it really doing prequel to Alien? And I, I think at that point, I probably just fell off my chair and, and kind of pulled myself back up and said, uh, I don't care what it pays, we will do it. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and that really launched us into the film world. That got our reputation as a studio going. There's a lot of studios, right? A lot of them are competing for similar work. And the bit that... When you said, oh, might be good to, to have a go at this ourselves, did you have a vision of what you wanted the business and the studio to be there or be famous for? How did, how did that come about? No, I mean, I think what underpins it all is passion. You know, I think I've, I think I've been fortunate enough to build something that I, really excites me. Andrew, our creative director, kind of, you know, put his finger on it the other day as well. He was just saying, like, anyone that comes in is passionate about this stuff. It is geeky. And it is, you know, particularly niche, but in in some ways that helps us find people that are going to absolutely love it because you don't just you don't just stumble on this stuff. It's it's um, it's it's very focused and targeted. You know, so much of the digital media that we often create is is quite transitory. It kind of, kind of here one day, gone the next. And what we'd like to do is approach it with the same kind of, and this kind of sounds grandiose and we, we don't mean it to be, but just it, it kind of feels iconic in some way, you know, it kind of has some meaning and you think you look back at it and maybe it dates or maybe it doesn't, but it, it kind of, it still has interest, you know, five, 10 years on. You mentioned now that you guys have scaled to some 
some bigger numbers when you go from a startup to almost like a medium-sized business. It's um, the role of a, of a founder is in, incredibly different, and of course, every every founder will have a, a different role within within a business. It's clear from the absolute list of world-class titles that you guys have been involved in that the standard of what you do must get recognized in the industry for you to keep winning more and more work. Your role ends up being a long way away from the hands-on work compared to when you start out. How do you and your leadership team ensure that the standards are being kept as high as they would have been when you were running things? So I think with anyone that we take on, they need to be passionate, but you also want there not to be an ego there. And that modesty is quite an important component because you need to accept that everyone else can probably do it better than you. And if you welcome that, if you truly welcome that people will do it better than you, then two things happens. You find people that are better than you. So that's that's one. Like my creative director was a better creative director than me. My first, you know, motion design hire was better than me at doing motion design. God knows my my first producer we ever hired was definitely better than me at producing and project management, you know, and and head of finance. So I I I I'm seeking people that are better than me at the bits that I'm currently, you know, not able to delegate. That's that's the first bit. And then secondly, if you accept that they're better than you, then you should be empowering them to do that job and trusting them to do it. And so if you can give people autonomy and hire great people, then you get out your own way is 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 the answer. Um, and we, I think we learned that from the film industry, funnily enough, because I thought when, when we stepped into a film project, you know, Ridley Scott on an alien, I'm thinking he's really going to, you know, micromanage and nitpick and all the details. And it's not like that. He will, he, he in particular will set up a fantastic brief. He knows that he's selected a fantastic team, you know, because that's, that's what he's got an eye for. And then you're on your own and you're left for months. There's mm. real confidence mm. in um, finding the best talent and briefing them in the correct way and setting them on the right path. If you can set them on the right path, then, then you've done your job. And so, yeah, so, so it's an, an amount of trust and confidence in the people that you hire um, and then building out processes and environment around them to allow them to do their good job, you know. And um, I think we put in so many, there's a tendency to put in so many sign-off procedures for, you know, spending money on, you know, new systems or hardware or I just get excited. When my, when my head of IT comes to us with a new, you know, it's like I, I, it, that, that just, just excites me that there's going to be new tech coming in that we can, you know, that will, will improve us in some way. And I'm always fascinated by that. So, yeah, I think, I think that, that kind of passion and desire to do things at a really high level and then just trusting pe- the people that you bring in to do that for you. Hire people better than you is a great, great message. But then also make sure that you're hiring people that have got that confidence but a humbleness and we talk about having a desire to learn all the time yeah if if from the newest person in the door to the person who founded the business is 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 genuine and authentic in relation to their appetite for learning as you say then just create an environment that they want to and can thrive in quite simply so i think i think there are some great messages there, i really do and um, you guys are out of london at new york out of san francisco and of course as we all know pretty much the most competitive <laughs> environments for talent in the world. Um, you've touched upon a bit of it there, David, but you, of course, are competing with some absolute monster studios, especially out of the West Coast of the States and all those type of things. How do you go about and, and, and how confident do you always feel with, with, with attracting talent? How is that for you? 
Yeah, well, we are niche. We are niche. So that kind of reduces, I guess, the amount of competition. You know, if somebody really wants to do holograms and computer screen designs in a feature film, there are probably five studios on the face of the planet that I can think of that do that really well. And then there's an even smaller number well, there's just us that does it at the scale that we do it at. Um, there's, there's, I don't think there's anyone. I might be wrong. There, there probably is. But, but to my knowledge, there's no specialist that that can take on the the number of feature films at any one time. So, um, so we're quite unique in that respect. Um, and then it's, it's, you know, we just go back to focusing on the on on the work and the the reasons why we do it. So, if you're looking for great healthcare and a Netflix topping pay um and 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 all those benefits we are never going to compete on that front i can like wholeheartedly say go and work for apple and netflix and 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 you'll have a great time but if you are about generating the sort of work that has legacy is in feature films you know we've got the latest james bond film out now and our work is all over it and my mum knows what that means you know and that and and look, I, I'm sorry, but you know that's where my ego does come out. <laughs> that, that, that does mean a lot. That yeah. does mean a lot. It's like if I'm going to do this and I'm going to put so many hours into it, I don't. I don't want to do it for for a little widget or to sell something. I kind of. I kind of want it to be what I'm passionate about, and that is using technology and design um, for for storytelling. You know, it's, it goes back to me as a a four-year-old kind of creating stuff in in lego and i can't help it i'm sorry i'm still a big kid so that's the way that i'm wired and and i think there's enough other people in the world that are wired similarly where um we still want to pay really good really good rates and you know it's it's hard it's still hard to um kind of be at the levels for london and san francisco but we can make it work you know if we run our business properly we should be able to get everyone on a really good package and um and still compete at a level where people don't feel like oh i'm being an artist but i have to sacrifice decent health care for 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 my family and a and a, and a, a retirement plan and a pension yeah. i think the thing that really jumps out in the last few minutes has been so enjoyable to speak about it and i, I absolutely get the uh you know when your mother knows about the kind of work you're doing or whatever case may be it must uh, certainly give a, a great sense of well-being as well but if you're authentic in relation to the space you're in, it, it doesn't come because you've been told that's the job you've got. You just love what you do. What a powerful thing that is. And to make very, I'd, I'd imagine as a studio, it must be very easy to get spread extremely thin. You can do a bit of this, bit of that. but and, Whereas the reality is, as you say, kind of like, no, this is what we want to do. This yeah, is the space I, that we're in. I mean, I, I'm making it sound ideal. We definitely did some of that through COVID and lockdown. You know, there was an amount of, Ooh, we're probably going to let this in the door and I don't know whether we would have six months ago we all have to be commercial realists and I there was a moment where we just thought no that some of these things are not ordinarily a territory project but actually they fit within our skill set and we're going to get something from this technically we might not get something from this creatively and I think that's what's been great with doing this podcast for the last last six months is just the candidness of the people that have come on because as you say, it has not been sunshine and rainbows. When all this started kicking off, everyone's thinking, oh, and especially as you say, if all of the work in the film industry before that, you had to be on site and all of a sudden no site was working, then, uh-oh, this could be a bit problematic. Talk to me, if you would, David, and share some of the biggest challenges that you've been through in the last 18 months as a, as a business owner. Oh, blimey. Um, I think my own mental health, actually. I think I think I really struggled with 
the whole notion of remote working to start off with for me. I didn't believe that we could put it off as well as we did, and we did, and I and I completely stand corrected. I think that, and then and then I and then I kind of flipped on that, and um, I could actually start to see more specifically the issues with it because we we work at really high resolutions and moving image, and it, it doesn't matter how good you think your virgin fiber is at home, it still isn't good enough, really. And um, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Never have myself, my business partner, and our head of finance talked about cash flow so much and our cash position. Now, I don't, you know, in our board meetings, it would come up as an item, and we would go, "Oh, well, there's still cash there. Let's keep going." <laughs> but suddenly, we became far more focused on it, and I think that's been good for us as a business. We've we've tightened up a lot of different things, and we've really interrogated, you know, what we need to keep and what we don't need to keep in terms of in terms of costs. Um, and I think we're probably in a really now refined and, you know, sharply tuned moment to kind of go on for our next growth phase. Um, so I think that's that education and tight focus on the numbers has been it was it, it's a massive challenge and it was a stress. But actually, we've come out of it far, far better for it. And then coming out of it, because there's been such, I would say, a boom for us, it's it's um, it's been talent. For the last 11 years, we have been incredibly lucky because of some of the fame on our projects to attract world-class talent and the volumes of people that we've needed to deliver on the projects. And now it's just getting to the point where we're needing to work a little bit more on and all sorts of things, actually, on the talent side. Um, obviously, diversity is a big thing, and it always has been for us. We've always been aware of it, but I think you know, there's just a continue. It's just a continuous project that the diversity piece. Um, it doesn't help, you know, that the, there's two white guys at the top of the company that that are facing it. So, we, you know, it's just plenty of work for us to do there. Um, and then just we are getting more and more niche and more and more focused on the skill set. So we're we're suddenly picking up a few skill sets that we hadn't always had in our network, and and. And at the volumes, actually, suddenly we've always worked in games. We've always worked with Game Engine um, since day one, you know, Call of Duty, but uh, Medal of Honor. But now that's becoming, we didn't realize, you know, how future gazing that was. That was just something we had to do because mm. of what we were working on. But now everyone's wanting Game Engine, Unreal and Unity and things. And it's, you know, it's quite hard to keep up with the demand um, because it, it's not just now in games we're applying that technology and that skill set to automotive digital experience design and uh virtual production in films and digital experiences for brands you know and and it's and it's just ballooned um and we've always been motion designers with user interface expertise and visual effects expertise and now you know this kind of creative technology and game engine expertise is being pulled up as one of those other threads that kind of joins up the business. We're all competing for people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something I want to get onto in a second, actually, Dobby. But there was a just going back to some of your learns, yes, in relation to the cash. <laughs> as, as business owners ever be more aware, and then our balance sheet targets in place and this type of thing and creditor, you know, creditor efficiency are all things that are the phrases and areas that I just didn't need to look at for for a while because business partners looking after it whereas all of a sudden it's now got a lot of pairs of eyes on it to make sure there's nothing slipping through the mental health aspect i think is a 
a great one spoke about. And it hasn't been spoken actually about as much as I thought it might have done in the, in, in the last um, in the last handful of episodes. Because the reality is, as you say, especially if you're a people type person, being launched from a a bustling working community to oh, you're sat in your spare room was incredibly tough. Have there, have there been any additional steps that you guys, um, as a studio, have changed? for all of your employees off the back of it? Is there any additional things that you've done or anything that gets more attention now than it did before? There's things that are kind of in progress. You know, um, we're, we're now, we're also, because we're coming out of lockdown and COVID, we're, we're hitting quite a, you know, it is, it is growth, growth periods. And um, we're, hit, we're going from kind of 100 people plus where kind of systemizing culture you know, and other systems, talent systems, and HR systems, and onboarding, and and that's 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 definitely all new and 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 fresh for us. And we have we have buddying systems. You know, and part of that was just everyone you know in isolation was really struggling with uh, with all of that. And so we do kind of like socials online and and all that kind of stuff, but in smaller groups and just talk about stuff generally. We're we're an interesting bunch here because we've got five floors, and uh, I think each floor is kind of a tribe, um, and they're they're quite quite t- closely knit little families. Um, they're, but they're between I don't know fifteen and twenty people per floor, um, and uh, yeah, they they I see the odd meeting pop up like you know fifth floor tea break or something, and 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 so there's kind of like subcultures around this that I, I think, think that's healthy. Yeah. I think it's healthy. Like as you say, it's got a nice organic feel to it. We've got the same thing. We've got a couple of floors, but almost like four different sections, and every different section has a different feel to it. And that's right. It's kind of it should be done in that way. But you, you mentioned five floors there. You've mentioned the origins of you know it's when it started. What have you found to be David the biggest challenges when it comes to scaling a business to size? Uh, it's my mindset. It's mine and my business partner's mindset because I think most of the people in the business can do it. You know, I think I think they know what needs to happen. We don't know what we don't know. So the things that you do to kind of keep you successful at tw- twenty people might actually get in your way when you hit fifty people, and, and it did actually. You know, it completely did. We, it's like you had to unlearn things and 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 do things completely different. And you need to be okay with reshaping things by by quite a large factor. So the thing that helped us go from twenty. To fifty was what well, we initially thought it was going to be a technology change, and so we um, we employed a pipeline TD, Sean, who's been brilliant for us, and his team's grown out. He he created this bit of internal software to help integrate all of our software pipeline and production management. That was the first part of it, and Sean did actually warn us of this. He said it's also going to be cultural because you're actually integrating motion design as a skill set visual effects as a skill set and also digital in a, in a way as well. And so there's going to be this cultural component of how do you blend, how do you get those teams integrated and working together? And not many, not many places do that. It's what is unique to us. So we had, there was no shying away from it. We had to just try it and we had to go through, you know, there was some painful mistakes, um, financial team wise, you know, and otherwise where it was, it, it was us figuring it out and finding our way. and and um, we had to go through that. There was, there was, there's no way around it. So now we're at the scale that we are, and I, and it feels like I can feel us kind of pushing against a glass ceiling again now. And we're asking ourselves, what do we, um, what do we need to do next? And one of the things for me, I think, is is like doing some training 
or talking to mentors, you know, and so, so for me, I'm, I'm speaking to other people that own other creative businesses, maybe some are bigger, maybe some are smaller, but actually have done, have gone through something similar in a, in another way. And I'm, I'm t- talking to some training specialists at the moment on, on, I think I'm an, I'm, I think I'm a pretty good leader, but I think I've got work to do on my management. You know, I think I'm, and I've inherited management. I haven't been intentional with my management. So there's, there's, there's some work that I need to do in terms of like being a little bit more buttoned up when it comes to that side of things. And so that openness to thinking, well, I, I don't know. I don't know everything. Actually, I've never worked at a company this size. And now I own a company this size. I need, you know, I need to, uh, I I, I need to, um, I have a responsibility to the, the people that are working with me to up my game. I'm I'm, I'm with you totally, David, because I I know, especially when we were sub 100, it was a very inward, it's us against the world type of approach and realising, looking back now, crikey, how naive and ridiculous that was. Mm. Because actually, as you say, I couldn't agree with that phrasing more. You don't know what you don't know. And there's only one way for you to develop your own mindset and actually not end up being the limiter yourself on the potential for your business is by getting out there and speaking, right? It's getting out there and making sure you've got regular, weekly, almost different people you're speaking to because there's not many conversations with the kind of people that you're going to be mixing with that won't give you at least a couple of things that you're like, oh, that's better than how we would have done things. How do you, because I'm I'm sure with your role, with the remoteness, with all the offices you've got, the diary must be pretty packed most of the time. How do you make sure that you have enough time to do just that? There's always, a, I mean, uh, Lisa, my assistant, is it polices me, um, and in in all honesty, uh, and there's a conversation at the start of the week every week, and it's running through the calendar. But then it's it's also looking forward to the next week as well, just making sure we're not uh, too far behind, and just literally putting in slots for time where I'm not just in meetings, where I've got time to answer emails. You know, it is it is that ridiculous. There's a great book called Radically Candor, which is um, a book about someone who's worked um, in Silicon Valley's biggest technology players. And she was there was a famous story in it. It's a really good read, actually. Um, she she mentioned someone like Sheryl Sandberg, where you know uh, she gave her some absolutely brutal advice off the back of a presentation, but she did it with love. And that kind of radical candor where it's like, I'm saying it, but I'm doing it. And what I'm going to do for you to help you get better at this are these following things. So it was brutal, brutal feedback. But because it was done with a plan in mind and with love in mind, like that was that that was taken on board. It was the most powerful thing that's ever happened to me. But she was mentioning a particular uh, big cheese CEO. And I think I might know who it is, but she doesn't mention it. If you read the book, you you might be able to tell me who you think it might be. But who used to have these two-hour slots in the week that, regardless of where he was or what was happening in the world, that two-hour slot was never broken because it was the thinking and process time, even to the point when a president or prime minister was visiting and, oh, we want to have that time slot. And it was a case of, nah. And obviously, so there were probably a fairly big cheese in the industry to be able to have that level of power, but it does go to show that if the if, if the very top titans of industry, so to speak, are, are having that reflection and doing time, is that important? I think it's very easy when you're in startup mode to be like, oh, I'm just too busy. I'm doing everything. I'm like, look at my diary. It's packed to not justify you your, your working hard, but because you almost feel, I will, I've definitely had a bit of a sense of guilt 
if I haven't had my diary packed because there's always more to do and I want to help my people be as good as they can be. But yeah. as you say, specifically saying, no, that time is not getting booked over and that's when I'm doing things. I, I, hopefully that might be an interesting angle for, for a few people listening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think, I think if you are giving as much of your team or time, I mean, if anyone listens back, some of my team are going to giggle when they hear me saying this, but, but, um, if you, if you are giving your team as much autonomy as you possibly can and trusting them to do great work, then you should have the ability to free up enough time for that. It's And I like that two-hour idea because it is about, it's not about the amount of decisions that, that you make, it's about the quality of them. And with one great decision, you can change a year, you know, and, um, and, I, and I think that's it. So much of, the more and more I think about sales and marketing, so much of it is about positioning and just getting your proposition right and then letting the world know in a very targeted and focused way. It's not, it's not about volume, um, any of this for us, for us anyway, I don't know if it's the same for all businesses, but it's, it's about what you filter out and then, and and then the quality of what you're putting out there. So I, I, I think our time is the same. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a bit about culture. If we may, as you say, you did tried something pretty unique, integration of two not often diametrically opposed it's probably a bit strong but two teams that don't normally fit together and let's be frank culture we realize now before the pandemic was a a, a lot of it happened quite nicely organically you did you say you had different floors they had their own different vibe and all of a sudden with rightfully so hybrid being a very um uh, a very uh, appealing type of work set up for so many people that doesn't come at a potential cost for culture doesn't it because if all of a sudden you've got floor of 20 people 19 of them at home and is is, is is someone sat in the office there thinking this isn't too much fun how have you guys made sure that the culture hasn't suffered within your studio uh it's been hard it's been hard and i think i think some of it is people have just gone this is just for now you know and they've been kind enough to say we know that this is not on you we realize that there's a global situation going on um and we'll do everything we possibly can to kind of keep it going along. But well, and there are some people that have definitely entered the business and exited the business in the, in, in the period of lockdown. And I think that's because it is because culture does take a hit. It really does. And you, you can't, there's only so much you can do. And I think, mm-hmm. I think, um, I think we're all looking at two to three days for now. But with time, we might look at five days again. Some of us might look at five days again. I don't know if I will or not. I don't. I just don't know. But I think we might need to be open to it. And I think it's a hard thing to say that out loud now. But in two to three years' time, who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? You'll have the option. But if you've got the option and you think, actually, that's still, that's still better. It's still better to be there five days a week for my team and actually for me. Um, not for everyone, but I think, you know, I think a, a large part of the depression that I felt through lockdown was, um, was it was being in that, that isolated, you know, for weeks and weeks on end. Now, lockdown is an extreme version. You know, I think if you can still get out and about, but you're, you know, basing work from home, that, that is less severe. Um, I think, I think, you know, time will tell, but I, I don't know if we completely, fi- we don't, we definitely didn't completely fix it. And- no, I like, but I like that point there, David. It's one that I don't know if many people have said, but as soon as you said it, it resonated with me. There's only so much you can do on some things. And uh, I think lots of times all of us want to have as good, as good as culture can be, as good as performance can be, as good as all these things can be. And the reality is, as you say, sometimes you just got to say, 
feel like I've tried everything here. And if anybody else has got some ideas, I'm all ears and just have a kind of environment where hopefully people have, at least have have the right time to be able to speak up because that's been a big thing that we've brought in over the last quarter. I do like different feedback sessions with different parts of the business, be it people that are brand new, people that are leaders, people that are on international stuff with dedicated slots where we just sit there and, and chew the fat, cup of tea and like, right, how's things going and all that. And I've really, really enjoyed hearing from people. As you say, we're, we're just uh, approaching 200 for the first time. And it's very, very easy to get quite distanced from what's going on unless you make specific dedicated time and efforts towards it, right? And uh, I, I think that's been a big thing. Uh, that's interesting. So is 200 another kind of growth pain, would you say? Is that the number where you go, there's, something's changing in the business now? It's, um, it, there's been a lot of start learns this summer. We, we've hired 80 people since June um, in, our, in our London office. Um, and without a doubt, uh, we've had to do a lot of learning in relation to some, and let's be honest, it's often, and it will be, operational-related areas. Absolutely, it's operational. Yeah, I can see our operational side being a massive part of what happens next. Yeah, absolutely. And one, of, and one of the things, touching on a point that you made earlier, actually, David, is that you don't know what you don't know. And we've finally started working with a couple of outside people that have had the experience of doing the scaling before. Mm. Now, if they can say by the way, that's going to be a pretty key position. That person looks knackered. That person looks like, you know, why are they doing three departments roles? You know, and all of a sudden you go, oh, yeah, because for us to be able to get to 200 to 300 to 500, we know that we're going to have to beef up certain areas. And sadly, sometimes it's only through going something which is not pleasant and you're like, oh, crikey, that was not done at all well. Let's have some apologies. Let's have some learns. And on we go. We'll make sure we won't do that as badly next time. You can almost only go through it by uh, by having an error and then and, and then learning from it, can't you? But yeah, I'd say that's been the biggest um, biggest learn from an operational perspective this summer. Yeah. Um, um, what does great leadership look like to you, David? Just a, a couple more questions before we get into some nice lighter hearted bits and pieces. But what does great leadership look like to you? Well, I think candor. I think you've touched on that. You know, I, I completely agree agree with that. I, I was. Uh, listening to a, a Netflix audio book and they, you know, they talk about their, their kind of three approaches to culture. And one of them is just brutal, brutal honesty. Um, I'm still not great at it. Uh, and I catch myself, you know, selling myself the thing that I want to hear rather than the thing that it actually is. And it just gets in your way. So if you don't recognize this situation for what it is, you won't really solve it because you're still selling yourself on something else, which isn't the case. It's more convenient for you right now, but that really isn't that really isn't the case. So for me, honesty with yourself and with your team is is kind of key. And I and I, I try my best, you know, when so tell, tell me how because that's a I mean, that level of self awareness, David, is 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 a pretty unique thing. And um, quite a, a, clearly a very high level of EQ to be able to really do that stand back and go, what am I selling to myself here? What does that look like? Like, what, well, yeah. I mean, I my you know my role is 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 currently biz dev, um, so I I'm maybe aware of when I'm turning it on with my with myself. I some some of my self awareness, I guess, has come from um, uh, in lockdown. I had to get I had to get sorted with my personal health, and 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 I was you know far more overweight than I am now, and I and one of the one of the first things was. Um, I was stripped of the excuse. No longer could I say, oh, well, I'm commuting for four hours a day and I've got my work day and there's just no time in the day. To, so suddenly I was like, oh, oh, I've got the time. Okay. And I was kind of forced to be honest with myself and think, well, why am I, 
why am I still not doing the exercise? Why am I still not having the healthy lifestyle? It was, it was actually meditation. I thought, well, it, it, the reason I've never really got healthy is because my mindset is not in a place where I'm saying to myself, like I should, I should look after myself. So, um, so I just started a meditation app. <laughs> Bizarrely, I'd highly recommend 10% if anyone's using, not using 10%. 10%. 10%. It's just, it's very West coast, but it's brilliant. And, um, it's, they, they just, they just go through various different breathing exercises. You can do it for like 10, 15 minutes in the morning. They do other ones, but, and I did that for three or four months and it just got me so on the straight and narrow and self-awareness that it gave me enough of a reset that when I started doing my exercise regime, it stuck. Um, and it pulled me through some really kind of dark periods with with myself and kind of everything that was going on, lockdown and the business and all the rest of it. And I, yeah, if ever I was to attribute a single app for uh, making a big difference in my life, it would definitely it would definitely be that one. And I think meditation is West Coast as it is. You know, we've got a San Francisco office, so I can, I can kind of get away with this. There's been a couple of very very talented people that have also said to me about meditation. So now that you're another one, I think I'm going to have to start listening to smart people. And I'll, I'll download that app after this, David, because I it's think... It's just breathing. It's just breathing. It's out, but, it's, but the simplicity of it is also appealing to me too, because as you say, it just gets you to stop. Yeah. Do you watch the series Billions? Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that that the, the therapist character in there, you know, you mm-hmm. realize that so much... And it's right. It's right. So much of a company or a brand's potential is unlocked by mindset. It's about getting getting things right in your head. And I think if, if you can work on yourself as an individual, and, and whether it's therapy or meditation or whatever it is, I think if you can put the health of your mind first, then a lot of other things will come. I think that is an absolutely belting, uh, belting way to, uh, to dip into those nice like, heart, final questions, David, because I think there's some great learns there. And I've, without a doubt, I've been scribbling away. And I think there's some bits there that I'm going to be looking at and um, prioritizing a bit more from now. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely great stuff. The best book, podcast or film that you'd recommend that you've taken some long lasting learns from? Um, God, I, I really, I do listen to a lot of um, podcasts and audiobooks. I do. Well, I was just listening to oh, the business of expertise, which is great, um, and I'm sure a lot of people have already read that. Um, and I'm just reading the hard thing about hard things. Um, I've, I've done that. That's a great one. And I'm about to start the big four, which is like about the big four consultancies. Um, so they're they're all along a theme, uh, and, and I'm looking back at my history now. Uh, the other one that I I actually listened to this before lockdown was remote. Um, which, which was really, which was really, uh, just by accident. Um, I think so yeah, a lot of audio books and then podcasts, my go-to ones at the moment are the two bobs and a uh, small spark theory. I really love, um, rev thinking, which is a specialist one for the motion design industry. And finally, we've talked about it a bit. You, David, have got a, a free afternoon. Free afternoon yeah. to enjoy a venue that you love sitting in, that you like having a bite to eat, having a drink or whatever it may be. Where, where is that one venue that you'd spend an afternoon in? Oh, there's a couple of different answers to this. So if it's an af- afternoon rather than an evening. So evening, it would be making cocktails for friends. Nice. Because um, I've discovered that over lockdown, just just like all the different you know, mixology. I got myself, um, is it Masterclass? which some some of them are a little bit cringy, but but there's one on mixology on Masterclass. It's fantastic. So I'm totally into all of that. And then 
I, I just love spending time in the garden. You know, I'm a, I'm a little bit kind of, we've, we, you know, we've got a bit of a patch and I, and I, there's something about physical work, digging something up or cutting something back. And you just like feel cold and wet and like you, you could do with a good dinner after the end of it, but it's some hard physical work and you can see the fruits of your labor at the end of it. It's very simple and it's very different to what I do in the day. And I think that's what I love about it. So yeah, sadly gardening. That closeness to just something so basic. One of my favorite things we did for years and years was go to Lake District. Um, and, and dad taught me there's just a great joy to be had from walking up a, walking up a mountain with the wind and the rain in your face. Yeah. Where the elements are trying to tell you go home and go and sit in your living room or you can keep going and enjoy what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, probably. If I, if I come out of the garden and I've got like, I've been attacked by a plant and I've got, you know, like bloody scars across my hands and stuff. I it, I feel quite proud of myself uh, for surviving that. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, um, lovely. David, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, and, and thanks so much for sharing your journey and your leadership learns with us today. Um, I'm sure there's lots that resonate with the listeners and like me, they'll be taking away some valuable ideas. Um, thanks everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and share it with others in your network. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. Thanks, David.